1: it's nate here um you may have noticed that things have been a little um quiet in the show about science feed and that's because we've been working on a new show it's called the show about politics and i'm here to share an episode with you and if you like it please subscribe and don't worry science fans we're working on new episodes of the show about science which will be out soon all right without further ado here's the show If we could fill the jails and our witness for freedom, it would be a marvelous way to lay the whole issue before the conscience of the local and national community. Understanding our democracy, one podcast at a time. This is The Show About Politics. Here's your host, Nate. Today on the show about politics, I have an incredible story to share with you about some brave kids who stood up for their rights. The story starts with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the leader of the civil rights movement, who we heard at the beginning of the show describing his plan to hopefully end segregation in the city of Birmingham.
2: His plan was to fill all the jail cells in Birmingham with protesters, and the reason for that was that he wanted to fill the jail so full that if people kept protesting and got arrested, there would be no place to put them. This is Cynthia Levinson, who's written
1: two books about what came to be known as the 1963 Children's March. But it was never supposed to be just the children who were marching.
2: Dr. King's plan originally was that adults would fill the jails. He didn't want children to have to do the job. He wanted grown-ups to do it. But
1: grown-ups in Alabama who marched for civil rights had much to fear.
2: Because if they did, they might lose their jobs, might be fired. They might be kicked out of their houses or their apartments. Or the police might be very violent with them. In order to fill the
1: jails, Dr. King needed at least 1,000 people to march. Very few grown-ups volunteered, though, but luckily, the kids were brave.
2: Somewhere between 3,000 and 4,000 children in Birmingham marched and were arrested. Nobody knows exactly how many, but they succeeded. They certainly filled the jails.
1: One of those marchers was only nine years old, and she was the inspiration for Cynthia's book, The Youngest Marcher.
2: Cynthia, can you tell us about that story? Sure. So The Youngest Marcher is a true story about a nine-year-old girl named Audrey Faye Hendricks who protested segregation. That's The separation of white people from black people in Birmingham, Alabama in 1963. And because of her protests and the protests of thousands of other kids, all of whom were older than she was, they all went to jail. But Audrey was in jail for a full week. And this is her story.
1: Could you tell us a couple of the events that happen in The Youngest Marcher?
2: Sure thing. Audrey knew all about segregation because she was a black girl who grew up with it. So she knew that she couldn't go to school with white kids. She couldn't sit with white kids at the movie theater. She couldn't go to restaurants with white kids, her life was very different from uh, white kids' lives and she knew that wasn't fair. She objected to it. Her family, her parents, especially her mother, were very involved in the civil rights movement and they were good friends with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and with other ministers who were also very involved in the civil rights movement when the movement was trying to integrate cities really around the country, but especially in the South to get rid of the laws that kept black people and white people apart. So because they were ministers and because the Hendricks family, like a lot of black families were very um, religious people, they went to church a lot. And one day, when Audrey was at church, one of the ministers, James Bevel, said that it was time for young people to get up and protest segregation, and he invited everybody to walk down the aisle in the church and make a commitment to protest and even go to jail if necessary, and that's what Audrey did. Wow!
1: I if I had to put myself in, in the situation Audrey was uh-huh. then I feel conflicted. <laughs> I'm not sure I could walk down the aisle when they ask for volunteers. I mean it's very brave of her, you know?
2: Well, I can understand you're feeling conflicted, Nate. I would feel exactly the same way and I think there might be a question whether or not your parents would let you do that, as Audrey's parents did. You know,
1: when we were researching for our for the show, my mom said that she would have a really hard time letting me go down the aisle, and,
2: you know, I'd be scared to be arrested. Uh-huh. Aha! <laughs> I can understand that, and it's remarkable that Audrey's parents let her do it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And it's remarkable that everyone else's did. Yes. Well, the the others were mostly teenagers. Right. Um, And some of them, many of them, did it without their parents' permission, the way teenagers do a lot of things without their parents' permission. But, you know, Audrey had to be driven to the church by her parents. So they were all in amazingly. Do you think
1: Audrey was afraid of what could happen to her?
2: Yes, I think Audrey was very well informed about the civil rights movement because her mother was so involved. And she, she had a good idea of what could happen to her. At first, she was confident, but then she got scared, as you saw in the story, right? Scared and sad and lonely, I think. But afterwards, she was very proud of herself. And she kept on working for the civil rights movement.
1: So how did the police respond to kids
2: protesting? The police force, everybody on the police force in Birmingham then, was a white person. Some of them even belonged to a racist organization called the Ku Klux Klan, which terrorized black people. They were mean to them and called them terrible names and were sometimes violent as well. So it was the job of the police force, they believed, to protect white people from black people. And when the police force saw all of these people, thousands of young people, marching in Birmingham and carrying signs that said things like segregation is a sin and justice for all, when the police saw that happening. And the kids were singing songs, too. They were singing, ain't gonna let nobody turn me around. That was one of the songs that Audrey sang. When the police saw the kids marching and singing and carrying signs, they not only arrested them and put them into police vans and took them to jail, but they also brought out very powerful water hoses and tried to scare the kids away with water hoses. And when those didn't work, then the policemen brought out police dogs, German shepherds, and had them attack some of the kids to scare them away. That's how the police responded to the protesters. That's,
1: I mean, that's just wrong. No kid should ever be treated like that just for wanting a better life. Like, why did the police believe that
2: whites were better than blacks? It wasn't just police that believed that. It was a lot of people who believed that. And I think a lot of white people had that belief because they had been raised that way. I think a lot of white people just didn't think about white supremacy much one way or the other. It was just that Birmingham was segregated and had been segregated. And that was just kind of the way things were. And why people believe that is a complicated question. It has to do with white people not wanting to lose their jobs in case a black person was hired. It had to do with beliefs that, which were also wrong, that black people were sick or dirty or not smart enough to learn things. It had to do with white people not wanting white girls and black boys or white boys and black girls to date each other. It was just the way it was at that time. And it was wrong and stupid and hurtful to hold those beliefs and to act that way. So
1: one final question. Is Audrey
2: still alive? Unfortunately, Audrey is not still alive. Audrey died in, I think, I have to check, I think she died in 2009. So she unfortunately did not see this book about herself, The Youngest Marcher. However, there is a book for older kids that includes Audrey and three other young people like her. That book is called We've Got a Job, and I wrote that one too, and she also helped me with that book. But after Audrey died, her sister, Jan, helped me with The Youngest Marcher, and it includes not only a picture of Audrey when she was a child, but also a recipe for one of Audrey's favorite things that she used to make for dinner when Dr. King and the other ministers would come over. The recipe is for hot rolls baptized in butter, and even though Audrey was no longer alive, her sister Jane was very helpful, and let me print the recipe in the book.
1: Mm. That sounds delicious. So how can our listeners find The Youngest Marcher and some of your other books?
2: Well, they're all available for sale online. They're all available at various public libraries. And you can also go to my website, which is www.cynthialevinson.com. So you can order them there. And not only that, on my website, I have a ton of information about Audrey and other people who protested in the civil rights movement and information about the research I did and videos and photographs and interviews that I did with them and information about my other books, one of which is about the U.S. Constitution and one is about children's circus programs which is a ton of fun. And one is a biography of Hillary Rodham Clinton. And there'll be a couple more books coming in the next couple of years. Thank you for being on the show.
1: Thanks for having me. And thanks for listening, everyone. And make sure to subscribe because on the next episode, we'll be interviewing Jeb Bush. And trust me, you don't want to miss it.
2: Hey everyone, this is Nate's dad here to take care of some business for the show about politics. First off, music on this episode comes from the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder and com. Also, we want to hear your feedback. You can call the show about politics hotline at 872-215-1966. Leave us a message and you might just hear yourself on a future episode of the show about politics. And finally... This episode of the show about politics is sponsored by Story Spectacular, a children's story podcast hosted by author-illustrator Angela Ferrari.
0: Okay, let's hear a preview. This is Story Spectacular.
2: Hello, ear buddies. My name is Angela Ferrari, and I'm the host of Story Spectacular, a family-friendly variety show. Get ready to listen to spectacular stories that come alive through colorful music, silly sound effects, and lots of fun characters,
0: like Digger the Dog. Oh boy, Angie, that sounds doggone fun. (laughs) Subscribe to Story Spectacular wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, my name's Zach. I'm 12 years old and I host We the Children, the podcast where kids talk climate change. Like a lot of kids my age, when I think about the future, I can't help but wonder what kind of world will be waiting for us. Will polar bears still roam the Arctic? Will we still be able to see colorful coral reefs or build snowmen in the winter? I'd like to think so. That's why I'm trying to learn as much as I can about climate change science, stories, and solutions from some of the world's leading experts, and share what I learned with all of you. Together, we can decide what type of future we want for our planet. Subscribe to We the Children on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And visit us at wethechildrenpodcast.com. Remember, we, the children, have the power to make a difference.